Welcome to the family with Hackmaster Ralph Toy Basham, MD. Co-host Catherine Brandt. And Andy Brandt-Bernard. Alex will be in. She'll be a little late. Got the kids got to take care of, so she'll be in a bit uh, a bit later. But we'll take a break. Be right back. Uh, we do not have Tim Lammers today. Big shot. But we do have Kristen Burt. And we'll be right back with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Back in the saddle again. We're back in the saddle again. Okay, Gene Autry, what's that all about? Well, after our normal break, Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan are back on the air with 10 months of terrible commercials. Ever think of hiring a copywriter? Pat's pretty good. Hey, we're selling cars, not carpets. Anyways, too expensive. Check out our new press release. This just in, Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan have started out 2022 as the number one and number two dealers in the state of Minnesota. Jason Leckler has been quoted as saying, this is the year I bump off Dan Resch. He studied animal husbandry for crying out loud. Dan replied with, blow it, J-Lo. What do you think? Mm, maybe you should hire a copywriter. Cool that they're leading the sales race, though. That's good. Yeah, it's actually more than good. Because they were so dominant last year, we've earned more than our fair share of new Nissans. We have 40 Altimas available for March and 120 Rogues. Check out the huge selection of Nissans at Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zep. They ship today. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Little news, little information. You know what I'm saying. Now, I do have to start off the show, and Ralph, uh, you, you probably know about as much about this as I do, but I got several phone calls today about what a phenomenal guest Stanley, what was his name, Andres? Yes. Uh, yeah. Stanley Andres, people were telling me that guy was one of our oh. the best guests ever. He was such a good guest. That's what and everybody's I was telling me. So happy because I had to do the interview and I didn't have to do much. But <laughs> to him, <laughs> yeah. he was he was very he had his story was just amazing. Well, they were raving about it. it I'll tell amazing. you that. Uh, Pat Eberts just called me a couple of minutes ago saying he heard it. He thought it was just fantastic. So, uh, Ralphie, to bring you and me up to speed. Okay. okay. 
Uh, growing up in Ferguson, Missouri, Stanley Andrees began making poor decisions at a very young age. He started selling dope and was arrested for the first time at 14 years old. By his early 20s, dope dealing had exponentially multiplied, and he found himself sitting in front of a judge facing 20 years to life on drug trafficking charges. The judge sentenced him to 10 years in a maximum security prison. Uh, now, <clears throat> about the author. Dr. Stanley Andrees is an endocrinologist, scientist, and assistant professor at Howard University College of Medicine, researching type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. This is the same Stanley Andrees. Wow. What a story that is, doctor to doctor, huh? Man, did he hump it. He did. Dr. Andrees holds a visiting professorship at Georgetown University Medical Center, held an adjunct professor... uh, Adjunct professorship at Johns Hopkins Medicine. After completing his postdoctoral training, Dr. Andres completed his Ph.D. at St. Louis University. This is a guy who went from drug dealer in prison to this very, very... Uh, accomplished. Accomplished is a good way to put it. Yes, indeed. Well, he clearly had the intellect to be able to see a different path, to see well, a that different was, future. Yeah. That was what was a really interesting point that he made when we were talking to him yesterday was... He said that in high school, he was, wasn't much of a student, and he was already dealing drugs. And the, the school, he said, treated him like he was in a pipeline to jail. Really? Yeah. You know, they, they, he, he didn't felt like he had no hope. Um, right. And there was, there was no other option for him, that he was a troublemaker. <clears throat> he was already already pushing drugs he was you know that he was just going to be another statistic did he did go to jail get did he have out, a recommendation jail, how to change that well he got a he had a mentor uh, that he hooked up with in in prison of all places huh. and it changed his entire life god what a story yeah Could, what a story this is yeah it's an <laughs> unbelievable story well my the thing, I mean, I'm thrilled to death that he's doing what he's doing because he's helping prisoners and, and doing a lot of good with his foundation, which is called the second part of the book, Tom. The second part of the book? Yeah, the second part of the book is a little tag, and that's his foundation. The subtitle? Oh, you're talking about, well, it doesn't really have the second title of the book. It just has the title of the book. Okay, From Prison Cells to PhD, It Is Never Too Late to Do Good. It Is Never Too Late to Do Good, I oh, think, okay. is, is the name of his foundation. <clears throat> and um, But the thing that distresses me after talking to him, and I've been thinking about it for a while, it's like, how do you prevent these kids from getting into the system in the first place? I mean, it's such a monumental task, and until... People address the fact that it's a cultural as well yeah. as a s- systemic problem. Well, I mean, I mean you... one thing stood out about his story to me, and that is that he had a present and supportive father, which a lot of people in the prison system do not. Yeah, that's And that true. is a huge correlation between uh, – there's a huge correlation between single-parent households and poor outcomes in the future. Yeah. That's what I mean with cultural. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a he's a, what, he was Haitian, right? Yeah, yeah. Haitian immigrant family, living in Ferguson. <sighs> okay, so we're talking about rough area, uh, most likely, you know, lots of drugs in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the fifth fifth child, five kids. I mean, he probably had every strike against him as far as being successful, right? That you can be. I mean, Tom, I'm sure that's why I was 
I was thinking you would love to talk to him because well, you would, you grew up in a poor area with a big family. No uh, father. Well, you had an absent father, mm-hmm. but yeah, you you technically could have been on the same pipeline. <clears throat> well, to tell you the truth, the only reason I wasn't is because it would have broken my mother's heart. Yeah. But the other part about this, what he talks about, um, I do want to talk to him. I want to get him on the show again, and I want to talk to him because remember. When I was 16, I said, I said, I just can't stay here. They're teaching the same thing that I already learned at Catholic school in the seventh grade. You know, I was in 10th grade. I had already learned this stuff three years ago. And then I found out, I looked at the 12th, uh, 12th grade uh, setup, and that, I had learned all that in ninth grade, at, uh, or excuse me, in eighth grade at St. Anne's. Um, I was going to learn nothing new, so I decided I'd just test out of school, just quit and test out. So they'd still give me a diploma. So I did graduate, but I never finished. And when I went to sit down with my high school counselor, she said the same thing to me that sounds like that Stanley heard. She said, Tom, you may as well get a factory job because that's where you're going to end up anyway. That's what she, my, my high school counselor told me I was going to fail at life. Now, it doesn't say that if you work at a factory, you're a failure. But for me, she tried to send that message that I was going to fail. Well, what's interesting though about that is, as a grown-up looking at these kids being churned out, you know, hundreds, thousands of kids that they see, you had, you know, they all knew that you had a mentally ill father, mm-hmm. that you had a single mother, yep. that you had, you were poor, very, uh, that you missed a lot of school. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, that's being a little accusatory, I don't mean, you think? I mean, I mean, what? How many kids in that situation go on to do something other than work in a factory? Yeah, statistically, very low. Yeah, statistically, after you know, when a when a person that works in the school system keeps seeing the same outcomes, but, they start with their biases. But I will tell you that every. All along the, the road to my, my early years, my teens and my 20s, all I ever heard was I was going to fail at radio, I was going to fail at the record business, I was going to fail at voiceover. I, all I ever heard was, you, you got no chance of, of doing that. Well, what's interesting <laughs> about that and with the guest yesterday is that negative message mm-hmm. turned you into a harder worker. No doubt about it. Yeah. So for some people... Hearing that you're getting, you're you're going to be a ditch digger your whole life. That was my dad's thing. Whenever he was mad at my brother, you're going to be a ditch digger. <laughs> well, the world needs ditch That's diggers all you're too, gonna do. Danny. It's a, yeah, it you're going to be digging ditches. <laughs> <laughs> well, what the hell? If you don't go to school, if you don't get good grades, you're going to be a ditch digger. That's what we heard growing up. And so, you know, if, if some people, it's like. Oh, I guess I, I guess I'll, I, I can't do anything because I, I'm just going to be a ditch digger. And some people are like, "Screw you! I'm not going to be a ditch digger." Right, right. You know? So I guess it all depends on the personality of the person. What's Wait. so funny about that is I knew at 15 years old that I was not going to be a failure. I knew in my own head, and I suppose all. Did you think all people think that when they're 15 that I'm going to be a huge success and it's going to be unbelievable? Yeah. No. no I, Probably. I think, I think a people, lot. Of I didn't think that when I was 15. No, to, well, I think a lot of teenage boys they all think, "Oh, I'm going to be the next rock star. I'm going to yeah, be the next Bill Gates or whatever." Everyone thinks that they've got this, uh, you know, thing no, going. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I disagree with you, Tom. I think that you know, I, well, I'm going to project my vision on when I was 15. I just realized I was not going to fail. Right, right. 
He's not going to be some giant success. Say, yeah, exactly. You don't have to be you know, just, the world's most uh, rich man. Just as long as you don't fail, then. I knew that I was not going to be up on the iron like my dad. I knew, you know, you know, I, my mother was in uh, medicine, you know, as a nurse, and I, I didn't have a clue about that. You know, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, you know, at, I, I looked at that and go, that's absolutely impossible to do. You know, I'm just not going to bother with a school for like 80 years and on and on and on. So I didn't have that vision in my head, did not have that vision in my head, but I knew that I was not going to be doing what my dad was doing. And I knew that I wasn't going to be a yeah. farmer. I knew that there were certain jobs I was not going to be because I didn't want to work hard. I was lazy physically lazy to do that kind of work so i figured i better better go to school now i should point out and i have pointed this out before but i'll say it again that yes my mother was working 12 hour days my father was out of the house but i i will admit to you 100 percent you can go down the list of Mr. Fisher, Andy Fisher's father, Mr. Laurent, Guy and Greg's father, Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien, Tommy O'Brien's parents. Uh, every one of them told me, don't you worry about this, Tom. You're a very smart kid and you're going to make it. You can do whatever you want. This is America. You will succeed. And those, those fathers and mothers stepping up to support me was everything to me. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yes. They were very, very supportive, and they said, seriously, it's not even a question. You're going to be something big, so just stay after it. You'll get it. Don't worry about it. Speaking of something big, we got Officer Dave on the phone. <laughs> a big pain in the ass? Is that what you mean? A huge pain in the ass? Someone big. No. Yeah, I guess I, well, he, Dad that said something. awesome segue, Andy. Thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> The great segue right there. the truck anymore. Yep. No, so that that he, the the guest was so cool because he had the desire to do it. Yep. And yep. to change his life, it wasn't oh woe is me. I'm never gonna. And Tom, you touched on it. You kind of stole my thunder there. But yeah, you he had the desire to change everything. And once he started to learn properly, or I don't know if that's the right way to put it, because I'm kind of dumb anyway, but. Um, oh, here we go. You know, once, he, <laughs> once he started to learn what he wanted to do and what he wanted to be, he focused on it and he had the desire to finish. And now he's a massive success. Good for him. I was Great. like cheering yeah. yesterday on a list. I, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I was like, I can't take breaks. We have to talk to this guy. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just don't hear. I mean, all you ever hear about is is the opposite. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. You know, that these, these the kids. The holding get, me down. Yeah. It's, even it's even when people have. This guy said. Go ahead, Gaffin. Oh, uh, even when people reach the pinnacle. Of careers, they're still whining. Oh yeah, and oh, complaining. Yep. <clears throat> you know, one thing true. I do have to point out about this is that you know I talk about I'm going to make it. There's no question whether it's in the record business, or in the radio business, or in the you know whatever all the businesses I've been in, I've been very very lucky. But uh, you know, by the same token, there were enough people. But but the parents in the neighborhood and my own mother and and actually my my sister Vicky was a big part of that too. Saying, don't worry about this, Tom. You got it. Don't you got it? Don't worry about it. Just keep working. Um, but it's it's not. 
It's not easy because you lie in bed at night and go, am I fooling myself? Is it, am I just kidding myself? I, I, I'll work really hard. I'll do whatever it takes. But am I just kidding myself? Do I have any chance of making it because of where I'm from? So you do question yourself. I will tell you that. Oh, yeah. But on the, yeah when I went, on when the, I went <laughs> back to school to get my degree, it was the same thing. I was working seven yeah. days a week. I was a reserve. I was a CSO. I was a truck driver. I coached my kids football. I was a volunteer firefighter. I did all those things for three years to get my degree to go to become a cop. You know, it's if you want it bad enough, you'll work for it. There's no doubt about it. Yep, that's exactly right. I think it's a great. I cannot wait to talk to this man. I get. We got to get him booked again. I want to definitely talk to him. So how how could how so is there a re, is there a solution? or a way to have truncated this or to have uh, short-circuited his his uh, trip to prison? Or was his trip to prison and the stark reality of that and where he was going, did, was that the impetus for him to start to learn? Well, actually, he uh, did address that. Yeah, he, he said did. that, so he went to prison, and while he was in prison, his dad uh, became very ill and I think died from type 2 diabetes. Oh, right. And he felt guilt because he couldn't be with his dad in his final days. So he decided, okay, I'm going to learn everything I know about diabetes and I'm going to learn how to fix it. And that was his motivation for becoming an endocrinologist, which again goes back to the fact that his father was in his life for better yeah. or for worse. Right. It's, but yeah, and he, I asked that question of him. It's like, okay, well, you're you're kind of like on the end of the problem. What about the beginning of the problem? And he said, well, his his wife is a teacher, and he thinks, yeah, yeah of course, education is the key. But if, if you live in a community where education isn't important, not, and not just valued, not important, it is actively shunned in a yeah, lot of places. Right. That's the attitude that needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you culturally go about doing that. Right, well. Unless you've got people like him that go they go and talk to kids and tell them, hey, you know, this is my story. Well, but the problem is you got one doctor telling them education is good, and then you got 20 of your friends and family telling you education is bad. <clears throat> you know, the latter is going to win out every time. Yeah, but he could say, you know, would you like to spend 10 years in prison before you figure it out? Oh, no teenager thinks that. They, they think, oh, I'm going to get away with it. I can I can deal drugs. I'll never get caught. It's, oh, there's got to be a way. No. There's got to be a way. Well, well, there, there's got to be yeah, a way. Everybody. Well, I'm not that easy. I know. I know it's a little bit. Everybody thinks they got to figure it out. Yep. It, I, I know it's a bit draconian and maybe a little bit fascist or or communist or whatever you want to uh, call it, whatever whatever racist or xenophobic, you know, whatever the out of the bad words you want to call this idea. That's fine, but I think there should be a uh, a welfare bonus. For children's family that uh, excel in school, absolutely, I agree. There, there should be absolutely. we should be incentivizing. Well, that's the thing is that if you incentivize behavior, you get more of that behavior. And right now, we're incentivizing all the bad behaviors that we can. I don't think there's a single good behavior that is being incentivized in any way right. by the federal right. government. Well, there was a te- there was a there was a school. I remember talking about this years ago. That was pay- they, they were literally just paying kids to get good grades, and it wasn't yeah, it wasn't a yep. ton of money. Yep. yep, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was enough motivation for them to really raise their GPAs. 
Yeah, because I mean, my GPA harder. was horrible because I felt like it had no purpose. I was like, okay, this is middle school, whatever. This is right. high school. Who the hell is going to care about this number in 10, 15 years? It doesn't matter. So why even try? So I didn't have any incentive to bother trying in school, aside from just being told that school is good. But you can't just make an assertion like, you know, it just is an objective good because it doesn't really, you know, mesh with real life. We have to take a break right here. Uh, Officer Dave, you can stay with us through the break? I uh, can if you'd like. Well, it's up I'm to you, man. I don't want you shirking your duty. Yeah, all I'm, I'm off duty today. All I'm doing is filling the truck up with gas. So. <laughs> all right. I might we'll need right to back. borrow some money. Yeah, enjoy your $200 yeah. <laughs> bill. Well, yesterday I filled my car up, Officer Dave. Did you hear that one? Yes. I'm going to be pretty close. Yep. Mm-hmm. God, it's amazing, isn't it? We'll be right back with the family. Yep. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Get the boat you want rigged the way you wanted it. Over 60 boats on display from Premier. Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Ask about the new Alumacraft Competitor FSX, the best new fish ski crossover on the market. See the Premier Revolution featuring first-of-its-kind rotational seating or Avalon's new electric VRB, all rigged with motors from Suzuki. Shop a huge inventory of boats inside a heated 25,000-square-foot showroom. The Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Factory reps will be there, too. Bring the family and explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington, visit bloomingtonboatshow.com. Tom here, and I'm talking with Brad Huckle and Mike Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked before about how working with a community bank like North American Banking Company can benefit business owners. Do you have an example you could share with our listeners? Our customers at Homeco Insulation and Blaine have been banking with a big bank for many years, but suddenly their calls weren't getting returned and their banker was unresponsive to their business needs. You can imagine their frustration. They had a successful business, wanted to expand, and their bank cut them off. They were ready to move on from their big bank. When they referred to us, we knew they wanted to work with a community bank that would be responsive and would take the time to understand their business and its needs. That sounds like a perfect fit. I know it can always reach out and not only talk to an actual person, but I'm talking to an experienced lender. They've told us the same thing, Tommy. Look, I know Brad and Mike and I trust them with my banking. My whole family does. So why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. When we were on the break, I looked up the incentivizing of kids, and um, it seemed they were giving kids 
ten dollars or twenty dollars for a better grade. Well, that's good. Well, it wasn't really that much. High schoolers weren't really responding to that. No, twenty. But younger kids, not a lot. Younger kids were responding to like a trophy or a sticker or some sort of oh. recognition. Mm. But the older kids, of course, they're already jaded. <clears throat> um, and twenty dollars isn't a lot of money, even in twenty ten. <clears throat> it wasn't a lot of money for a kid. Um, I, I just think that the community could step up and say, hey, you know, if, if you get a, a GPA of even a C, you can yeah. go to how you get some tickets to basketball games or something that would that they wouldn't be able to afford to do on their own. Right. I don't. I just feel like there's got to be a way. I would think so. We spend enough money on other things. I don't know why we can't spend <laughs> we, money on we that. We piss away so much money on stuff that doesn't work at all. Yeah, why don't we Might use as well it try it. Well, that's yeah. one thing about this. Uh, everyone is so proud of uh, Minnesota for having this $9 billion uh, surplus or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. How many billions? But 9.3 If you think about it, where does the money come from? It comes Taxes. from the taxpayers. So basically what they're saying is, we took nine billion of your dollars more than we actually needed. So yep. how is that a good thing? I agree. Couldn't agree more. Andy. A budget surplus like that just means that everything has been horribly mismanaged, and they're not actually uh -huh. putting the money where they're, they say they're putting the money. So how many how many children are in the school systems in the state of Minnesota? Oh, divide that. Divide nine billion by that number. Oh, just one billion by that number. Let's see. That's a, that'd be a nice taste. Oh, oh, yeah. I wonder. Let's see. Plus the entire state of Minnesota, remember, not just the Twin Cities. Well, Minnesota has about a million kids between 5 and 17. So those are probably mostly school children, if I had to guess. Okay. Well, so, so a million. A million. It's a billion dollars. It's $1,000 a piece. Yeah, 1000 bucks for every kid. So every every child that... Uh, $9,000 billion, $9, for every school 9, child. $9,000? Nine yep. if for nine if, uh, nine billion dollar uh, surplus, yeah. Okay, well that's ten. No, we get. I need. I need a taste back to me. You know, if you, I get, I want. I have some of that eight billion coming back to me. No, we take a billion. <laughs> take a billion. Oh, and give it to the kids. You're I'm, a politician. I'm, 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 no, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you my altruism in this situation. Yeah. One billion yes. goes to the kids. So a thousand dollars per kid. Any and, and not every kid's going to be able uh, will choose to be above a C average. Yeah. So then you can. So what you do is you put it in a pool and say. <clears throat> It's like it's like the lottery. Yeah, every kid that gets an A gets a cut of the pool. There you get go. the taste. Some of these kids could be making fifteen thousand dollars. That's right. Yeah. yeah you know, and, and, and the better you do, the more you get. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I don't know. I feel like it's difficult because children learn differently. All children learn differently. I mean, some kids, it's like I'll give you five bucks if you get an A. I mean, a lot of parents do that with their kids, and it's like five bucks for a C, ten bucks for a. B, 20 bucks for an each A. Like, a lot of people do that. But that would work really well for some kids, but not other kids. And, like, tickets to a baseball game or whatever would work really well for some kids, but not yeah. other kids. And so right. it's hard to kind of pinpoint something that it's like, oh, this would... Yeah. Just makes such a huge impact on. I mean, like I'm teaching. Oh, about, I was a kid, I'm teaching. If you had said, "I'll give you ten thousand dollars to get an A," I would have studied my ass off. Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> I could have bought well, every. Well, I could that's have a little unrealistic. Well, oh, only ten thousand, huh, Andy? No, but saying, the thing is, I'm saying if the government but, did something like well, that, that and, would motivate. I think pretty much every kid. But also, the other thing is, is it's like some kids, it's impossible to get an. 
A or even a B in certain classes, you know? Like, for me, in, like, math, I would have, I, it wouldn't have been impossible, but it would have been not worth my... Not worth the effort? (laughs) 10,000, yes. No, um, I'm just saying that... Like, it would have been really, really, really difficult and exhausting for me to try to get an A in, you know, say, geometry. And in the long run, what would that earn me? That I got an A in geometry, but I had a horrible time figuring it out, and it was exhausting, and I was emotionally spent. No, 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 you're emotionally wouldn't have been spent. You would have been working hard, and you would have been tired, but you would have been emotionally spent. I think I would have. Geometry just was okay, then you, then you horrible don't get the, for so, me. So it creates, it, so well, it creates okay, an external so, pressure. You don't so, get the A. You don't get the A. You don't get the yeah, money. But then it's like, I worked so hard, and I still only got a B. Well, How about you ask the kid? How about you have five, six, ten, fifteen things? for them to choose from and you ask the kid what would you like to get yeah yeah i get i don't know i don't know it's interesting because it's like you know fawn's in school and she's learning to read and just like seeing how she learns she i can tell already learns a lot like i learned um and i think she's she's a very highly sensitive child and so she learns like reading she's just amazing when it comes to learning to read like i can show her anything and she's like putting stuff together so quickly she still does not know all her letters though she knows what all of them say and she can read them in words but she know like there's like five letters that she doesn't know what they are i mean it's... because she's emotionally invested in learning to read because mm. she wants to learn yeah, to but... read but like knowing this letter she's like what do i care yeah, but yeah. You're, you're, i think you're confusing how Children learn with why yeah, they that's learn. Yeah, a very, di- right. very. Right. Uh, we want to draw them saying, to learn. But no, but I'm saying, I'm saying those are connected though, because if you are, they can be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying that it's like, if a kid learns in a really abstract way, saying you get tickets to a baseball game if you get an A, and they don't have the support to be able to do that, that's not going to be something that will work you know okay, so if it works for enough kids then <clears throat> we're, trying, we're trying to do anything to change anything yeah. right. in this exactly. system yeah that's yeah, the yeah. thing is there is no perfect solution that works no for there every isn't kid. no you that's know? what i'm saying i'm just saying that it's like there's no well, if it works for 80 percent of kids then i think it's if it worth... works for 30 yeah, percent exactly. yeah if, if we keep 10 percent of children out of prison mm-hmm. yeah we're yeah. going to be money ahead in this deal well, this the is going to be is, easy well it's like i mean if you look at the and I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm not saying that these aren't good ideas because I think that they are, but it's just like all of the online school that happened with COVID, all of my teacher friends were like, these kids, so many kids aren't learning anything because they don't have any support at home. Like there's nobody that's trying to help them succeed. Yeah. And so it's like a school offering a prize for good grades is good, but if they don't have anyone helping them get there... I don't know. That, that's, why, that's why. That's why you don't give it to the kids. They're not old enough. They're not mature enough to understand that. That's why you give right, it to right. grandma or mother, whoever's raising those kids. And, and rest assured, my understanding of certain cultures is that if there's a, if there's, if the, if that it means that you're going to get a little extra money into the house, maybe a little, a couple more visits to McDonald's or some other luxuries. Boom! Guess yeah. what those kids are going to do? They're going to be say, their mother's going to say, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, this is going to help the whole family. Your brothers, sisters, 
Yeah, but then that could go the other way where it's like, you will earn good grades. We need these $200. Like, you know. what? Kids are horrible. (laughs) So what? I don't know. Like, you could end up with parents like, I need this money for drugs. I need this money to pay off my whatever. Like, you know, it. I don't know. Yeah, that's. That's a really good point, Alex. There is a lot of that. But you have to break this cycle. And the thing yes. is, if you we have do. children who go through a generation, that go through school, that have learned and have excelled, this other incentive goes away because you don't need to because those children are successful. They're getting jobs. They're paying taxes. So you don't need this problem. Yeah. Well, to this me, problem I feel— This isn't a permanent thing. No, I know. I'm saying—to me, I feel like it would be more valuable to put resources into giving the children resources to succeed rather than, like— Get a good grade, get this reward, no, because put, that we, could go wrong course. in a lot of ways. Did you know that America is, I think, the second spending country in the entire world in terms of per student spending? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I'm yeah. Sure, and I'm sure there are a lot, and there are a lot of really yeah. amazing schools that give their child, the kids, tons of resources. But I mean, like, I had the same thing happen to me as Dad did in high school. I went to my high school counselor, and she told me that I needed to go to a school for children with special needs. God, nice thing to say. It was yeah. There's a there's a school called Groves Academy. Yeah, uh, right off of 100, and it's a school for children that have like autism, specific learning disorders, all these things. Yeah, and she told me that I should probably go there because I was not doing well in school. Because guess what? I wasn't emotionally invested in it. I didn't care Mm -hmm. about getting good grades. Because what? Like I wanted to go to dance class and I wanted to ride my horse. All my teachers told me I was smart and I didn't see it and I didn't believe them, so I didn't try. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just the way I was brought up that you didn't know anything if you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, this thing, too, like I have ADHD, Andy has ADHD. We learn very differently than the majority of people. I am also a very sensitive person. My, like, just general way of living my life and how I operate is very different from other people. It's not, like, an autistic person, but it is different. And so I feel like Andy and I kind of fell into that in-between where it's like, you're different, but not different enough to get, like, tons right. of help. But yep. we, So we don't know what to do with you. So you can either, like, if you fail, then that's your problem, or you can go to this like school for kids that have like way more no 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 not way more no 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 groves academy is a wonderful thing for children who may learn in different ways mm-hmm. and in in reality you may have excelled there because you may have had a one-on-one teacher and which would have adjusted their learning style specifically to what your needs were well, so, as yeah, the mom, I don't know how Groves Academy works. Groves, tr- tr- don't ha- Groves Academy is a wonderful place. No, it absolutely d- is. I but, never but said it wasn't. The, but you're, I, I worry that you've ins- you've suggested that it, it's for only children with extreme needs, or there, there's a, a pejorative or a negative thing about going there. No, but I think it can be a wonderful place to nurture children for a variety of reasons. It's not just because of autism or other kinds of learning I don't know issues. What, I don't. I do not know what their qualifiers are. Like I don't know what you need. Like what your learning. I don't. I don't think it's learning disability. You're, I don't know. What disability? That's well, kind of using word. This kind I of was in. The, yeah, I, I was in know. the trenches with two ADHD kids. 
and I was at the meetings, and I had the IEP plans, and I suffered through your school years. <laughs> so did we. Right there with you. Yeah. I, it, was, it was tough for everybody. It really was. Andy, they wanted to put on drugs. They were like, put, you have to put him on drugs. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want to put him on drugs. They're like, really, really, it'll help him. It'll help him so much, you won't believe how much it'll help him. Turned him into a zombie. Uh, he lost weight. He couldn't sleep. It was a it was a disaster. A very short little trial of that. Psychologist, brain training, biofeedback, sensory this, sensory that. I mean, I did it all. Yeah. <laughs> there was the only thing that actually started helping was when they started IEP, individual educational plan. Yeah. And they say after you get an IEP, oh, your kid is really good at oral testing. So yeah. now because you have an IEP, we can give them an oral test. But you have to go through all of this crap to get the teachers to deal with your kid at what they need. It's, I mean, if it was somebody else. I would have just said, my kid's stupid, and they're not going to do well. Yeah, they're going to get a, a factory day. job. Yeah, I tried everything <laughs> in my power. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I did everything in my power to try to get these kids to not only, you know, do okay, but to actually thrive. And it was, it definitely was a challenge. Yeah. You know okay, so I looked, that? sorry, Dad. No, very quickly. You know what's amazing about that? Hmm. Is you learn as you go through life. If you think you stop learning, you don't. You keep learning. And here's a good example. So my lovely wife that I tell every, every day how much I love her and kiss her goodnight and tell her she's the love of my life. And, you know, and there's a reason for that. Because here's a woman who had not one but two ADHD kids and a husband who had the highest rated morning show in America and was so stressed out about it he couldn't breathe. Nice, nice load on your back, Catherine. Um, <laughs> those are fun times. Those are fun times. comes out on top. <laughs> yeah, she still came out on top, thank God. There you go. <clears throat> fin finally, Catherine, I can say to you, you're a saint for have lived through this. <laughs> she really is. Well, I'm just saying, that's saint. Cool. I, I, I'm, the only reason why I said what I said is because the school system does not really, is not all that helpful. No, public just, school, well, back then, not <laughs> super helpful. I mean, <laughs> they, they tried some stuff, but, you know, they didn't, it the, was not Well, there's really a great. lot more help for kids now than there was when we were in school. That's, that's a million times. There was a million more things for you at your age than there was for me at my age or your dad at his age or mom. Oh, yeah. It's just the that we're so much smarter about what people's needs actually are, we can actually figure out, okay, this person needs this, this person mm -hmm. needs that, this person does well with this. And it's, it's a complete night and day from when... I went to school. I was amazed at what my kids got when they went. And I was like, holy buckets. Where was this when I was like, growing up? Well, yeah, I mean, if you even think of just like autism, like when we were in school, I, nobody knew anything about autism. <laughs> No. Still it's like something little. that you kind of heard, but now there's like specific schools for autistic children, specific, like just there's tons of stuff for autistic children all over oh, the yeah, place. The University of Minnesota has an <clears throat> entire uh, um, program and I think even their own dormitory for autistic kids. Oh, do they? Yeah. <clears throat> That's good. 
Yeah. Well, there was, there's also, uh, let's see, what's the prevalence difference between back then? Yeah, but is that a diagnosis issue or a... Yeah, that's, you never know. Yeah. Uh, let's see, it's three times more prevalent than 2004. So, you know, yeah. that's a pretty big difference. That's diagnosis. That's I was going to say, I think that know, it's yes. like they were like... I think it's a keep... combination. It's a <laughs> yeah, diagnosis yeah. issue and it's an issue that people are having children later. Because there is a there is a definite uh, a definite correlation between paternal and maternal age and autism in children. Really? Yep. Hmm. Well, there you go. So I have a question for you because we only got about four minutes to go here. Uh, I just was thinking about something while you guys were talking. That uh, we'll just take my radio career. At the beginning of the KQ Morning Show, I had Dave Hamilton. He supported everything I thought, everything I said, everything I did. He had great ideas himself. He was extremely supportive. And then uh, we were sold to Disney, and Mitch Dolan became, he's the president of, uh, of uh, programming for ABC Disney. I loved working with Mitch Dolan. He understood what I was saying, what I was trying to do, how I was doing it, while other people were going, that's, that's nothing, that's not radio you're doing. I said, I know, that's why it works, okay? <clears throat> Mitch Dolan was phenomenal. Then we moved on from there. Uh, Mitch uh, retired, went away, and then uh, Mike McVeigh came along. Mike McVeigh and I are going to get a little business thing going uh, very soon. I love working with Mike McVeigh. He's a great guy. Uh, I talk to him at least once a week to this day. <clears throat> so having a person there, because the problem, I, I'm having a big problem right now because I don't have a person like that anymore. There aren't people like that in radio anymore. I, I think the, the business has only got about five to ten more years of life which is fine, I suppose, at my age. If there was a good time for it to happen, it would be in my age bracket. But I don't have anybody like that right now where I can pick up the phone and go, Mike or Mitch or Dave, what the hell should I do with this? I'm trying to do this, and they don't understand what I'm trying to do. I don't have one of those right now, and it's stressing the piss out of me. So it doesn't end when you're a kid or you're a young person. I'm 70, and I'm going through this, and it's stressing the hell out of me because I have no one to turn to. Well, what thing. about that? What do you um, do about I wonder, that? I wonder if you haven't become the person that people turn to. Well, or turn on. Thank you very much. Great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose, Thank you very much. But they don't listen anymore. That's the other thing. The, the, the disconnect between baby boomers and the, uh, the following generations, there's a huge disconnect here. They think we're morons. I mean, the very not yeah, not yeah, necessarily right the millennials, the ones younger than the millennials. Well, who are they again? The Gen Z people. Gen Z. They think that all all baby boomers are morons. <clears throat> so they think they think all Gen Xers are morons too, because you try to write them a ticket, and they're like, "What? You can't do that to me!" Blah blah blah. It's the same thing. <laughs> In the you you're a cop, but you can't write them a ticket. Oh, okay. All right. What oh no. You oh, you you don't know who my my parents are. <laughs> oh. You can't do this to me. So basically, to wrap up, get it all the time. my thought basically is Catherine had to go through the two ADHD kids and a husband that was stressed out like a son of a bitch. And now, of course, who do I turn to? I turn to Catherine. So it's never going to end for her. Uh, my shoulders are so tired. Oh, ow. No wonder I have neck pain. I'm all worried. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm all worked out. I'm tired. All right. I suppose we better take it. But I really like this conversation because I think it's going to help a lot of people understand that, that you're not alone, that you're not going to fail. If you, you are not a victim. And again, I'll say this. If you did victimize me, I would never admit that you victimized me. There is no upside to be calling yourself a victim because you'll talk yourself into it and you will fail miserably if you believe that. Right. I have a slightly different take on that, Tom, too. Oh, good. I won't give them the satisfaction of making me a victim. That's what I'm saying. I would never admit that you victimized me or, or, yeah, same. I won't give No way. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. All right, Officer Dave, get off your ass and go to work. You heard me. Uh, That's tomorrow. I'll listen tomorrow. (laughs) All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you. Love you guys. Take care. Love you too, pal. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. We'll take a break. Be right back. Kristen Bird. She'll be chirping about this, I guarantee, because she does listen to the first hour. So uh, getting Kristen's take on this could oh, be interesting. Kristen just danced her way through life. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot. Never a struggle. <laughs> we'll be back in about five minutes with Kristen Bird. <laughs> 